This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Corridor Cast, and today's episode is proudly sponsored by Audible. More on that in a bit, but today's guest is Andrew Price, known on YouTube as the Blender Guru. And he's basically the world's foremost expert on educating people on how to use a 3D program called Blender. Fantastic guy, really smart Australian. We got him here in the podcast to talk about all kinds of things like photorealism and making tutorials and running a business. He also runs a company called Polygon, which provides all kinds of textures for 3D artists. Yeah, let's get to it. You know, I would see your 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 thumbnails on YouTube and suggested stuff, and like you know uh, the what was the the photorealism one mm-hmm. your your video uh, essay on like photorealism and talking about all that, mm-hmm. and you know a lot of people are like, oh, I don't have Blender, so why do I need to watch a Blender tutorial if I'm not using Blender? And yeah. it's like, yo, you guys got it all wrong. You guys got to watch these videos, man. Your videos are so good. <laughs> oh, They're thanks. So good. Yeah, so really? I, I feel okay. like we should yes. establish. You use a 3D program called Blender, which is a free-to-use program for pretty much everything 3D. And it does actually a lot of stuff. Years ago, it didn't do as much stuff, but these days it's doing a lot. Mm. Uh, Clint and I, on the other hand, we primarily use Cinema 4D, Mm -hmm. which is a very different uh, 3D package. But at the end of the day, it does the same thing, just different user interface. Yeah. Uh, So we might not be able to get much out of a direct tutorial that you make, Mm -hmm. but all the concepts are there. So it's still like an interesting thing to watch, especially because a lot of your uh, tutorials kind of are based around like the theory and, and mm-hmm. why you do certain things as opposed yeah, to like press those. these buttons to get to the end. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, my I I yeah, my my initial tutorial because I've been doing it for like ten years now, making YouTube tutorials. Oh, man. And uh it yeah, at, at the start it was all like you gotta push the buttons in the right order, this kind of thing. And then I realized like, you know, w- when I'm watching a tutorial myself, it, if I only learn how to push the buttons in the correct order then I'm only going to be able to make that thing that that person made. Yeah. And so then it was like, okay, well, well, then how could you, you know, without explaining every single thing, explain the concepts of what you're doing. And so lately the the most recent style of tutorial I've done is like, I'm going to show you how to make this finished scene, but I'm not going to do it over two hours like I would usually. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm going to compress it to 10 minutes or 20 minutes and just show you the actual like important things or a technique that I picked up or like don't use this type of light when you're lighting through the interior because it's just going to make extra render times or this is a better style than this. And then you sort of speed up the rest of it. And um, I, I, I gave it a, a, as an experiment and it worked, uh, it worked really well. So yeah. I, uh, I really like the format. It's very, Cheers. very, very satisfying to watch. Um, so the, you know, the button by button, well, a couple, couple things. So first off, like, I think that your method of doing it currently where it's like the 20 minute video and you're kind of commentating on your style and what you did and like you're hitting the key moments that you think need to be talked about the important stuff. Mm. That's cool because it leaves the audience when I'm watching a tutorial and you like type in 56 for the opacity and you know 32 yeah. for the scale. It's like oh I gotta get it just right and if <laughs> I don't then it's not gonna look right. Mm-hmm. But the way you do it it almost gives it well it totally gives the audience the ability to um, be 
more creatively free, right? Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. lets it lets the audience and gives the audience a chance to do their own thing and experiment in their own way, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a really cool teaching method and a teaching style. It is. So you know? yeah, I'm, I'm a yeah. big believer in that. But at the same time, when you're first starting out, you have no idea what you're doing. So mm. uh, like to a certain degree, when you literally have never used the program before, you have to have your hand held through it because yeah. you don't even know what a button is yeah. at that point. Yeah. So I mean... I, I've made a lot of tutorials uh, too, so it's like this is really interesting talking with another fellow tutorial maker, because um, <laughs> um, I, th- I feel like we've had different processes over the years. Because I know the way I like to make tutorials is uh, I will practice an effect, even if I already know how to do it. I will make that same effect like three times mm-hmm. in a row, like just over and over and over again from scratch, so that by the time I'm actually sitting down to record, I know the exact uh, next step to do. And even still, I'll take like breaks halfway through a tutorial. Or I'll just be talking, and then I'll just stop talking and stare at my screen for like thirty straight seconds. Just... <laughs> <laughs> and so then you click on the pen tool, and then <laughs> uh, yeah, because I, I always I go back through and I edit out all the breaks. I try to make it as seamless uh, as possible. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily seamless. I don't care too much about the seams as much as just trying to get the information to be the most efficient it can be. Yeah, um, right. Because that's what it comes down to. I don't want to waste their time, but I also don't want them to be lost. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so it also depends on the kind of effect. If I'm doing kind of a more a easier beginner style effect, I'll be a little bit more detailed with what to do. If it's a little bit more uh, of an advanced effect, I won't even bother teaching them like, okay, this is how you make a mask. I'll just be like, okay, hit F on the keyboard to feather it out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, that, that's that's an important point. Is like you, you can't <clears throat> explain everything because you would get you would irritate everybody. Like if you were yeah. talking to them like they were a baby the entire time and now you use the left click on your thing to select and drag over to the, like you would just drive everybody up the wall. It's one of the things I find kind of amusing about Andrew Kramer's tutorials uh, from Video Copilot. Some consider him to be like the king of like tutorial making. <laughs> um, he, yeah, he makes great tutorials, but I always find it funny. He'll be doing like, like his most recent tutorial, which was about like these letters getting chopped in half by like asteroids flying through him is a pretty advanced procedural effect inside mm, of after effects mm. and he's going through all this these advanced maneuvers and then he still is like all right now i'm going to go up to edit copy and then click on this other layer and go up to edit paste <laughs> as opposed to just be like control at this C, point you probably know how to hit control c and control v like right right yeah, to yeah. copy and paste it's just yeah it's, it's like huh yeah it's, it's hard to, it's definitely hard to get it right and you never will because somebody will be more advanced and somebody will be more beginner i've had people on the same video say you're going too fast and you're going too slow mm. right yeah, on the okay. same video mm. i mean it's just they're at different speeds to other people do you record your audio while you're actually doing the recording of the screen recording yeah it it's not you, like it's not like voice after the fact i, I do both Okay. It de- okay. really depends on what I'm doing. So like if it's a theory video, like the like photorealism or something, yeah. where it's like sort of more fleshed out production, like I've got, so I'll just do the audio. Yeah. Um, or now I've got the webcam, so I just do the video thing. And then later on, I'll do the visuals to it. Trouble with that is if you go too professional, I've noticed you kind of lose, um, I don't know what the word is. You, you lose a kind of casualness that, that some people actually like. YouTube's Whereas when you all record about that it, casualness, man. it is it's like the more professional you get with your production mm-hmm. in a YouTube video, it's like the less relatable it is and the less, I it, know. It, and it, that's not the case for all like videos or channels, but it tends to be like, it's the biggest example is comparing, uh, Hollywood stars coming to YouTube, like Will Smith versus Jack Black. Will Smith has like a, 
huge amount of money going okay. into each of his videos. Very obviously, it's shown on camera. Right. Uh, whereas Jack Black is like, obviously, I'm recording this on a cell phone and my son's editing it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you yeah. can't get any more classic OG YouTube than Jack Black right now. That's true. Um, whereas He's done is, really yeah. well, like, integrating in the YouTube culture. Yeah. Like, just... The, all the same jokes, the dumb, <laughs> like, it's like, wow, he's been watching YouTube for a while, I think. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, uh, to, uh, that was a bit of a derailment from what you're saying. It's like, right. you don't want to add too much production value to your thing because maybe that'll make it a little bit, um, I don't know, like, less. Yeah, you lose. Relatable. You lose, like, because you have to basically, if you've got prepared words, you're going to say, you know, like, I've written out scripts, right? Mm-hmm. I write out the script and I say it word for word. And I listen back to it and I go, shit, <laughs> it sucks. I sound like I'm selling Febreze or so, like, I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, like mm. horrible. Nobody wants to listen to that. I feel like a lot of people can tell the difference between listening to prepared statements and just off the cuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is the thing I've learned. You essentially have to become an actor. You have to pretend as though I'm reading this for the first time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to go about this casually. And I have to, and so like when I'm doing the videos and I come up to this part that I know and I've spoken about before because I've done three or five takes on it, but you have to act as though I just had this funny idea or this, like, it's not being phony. It's the opposite of phony. It's like you, if you were to read it off the cuff, this is how I would sound. But if I just read off the cuff, this video is going to be two hours long because it's going to take two hours to get to the point. Yeah. So it's rehearsed, but it's sounding like it's off the cut and it's very hard to do but i know exactly what you mean i've been making videos where i'm having to like memorize a lot of lines to deliver to camera mm-hmm. yeah. and it's like what i actually write down and then i say it out loud and i was like i don't sound like that why did i write that way yeah so i end up having to just kind of like come up with the main things i want to say and then just improvise the actual that's what I'm, I'm learning as well if you write it word for word <laughs> you will actually sound too static yeah whereas if you just give sort of the main bullet points and the kind of the flow it can you can riff on it a bit, yeah. Before we go any further, uh, I want to just listen to a message from our sponsor. Our read first, by their first sponsor? Yeah, no, it's our first sponsor. Dude, it is one awesome. of my favorite sponsors, Dude. Audible. <laughs> I know, right? Okay, check it out. All right, the reason why I really like Audible sponsorships is because it basically just gives me an excuse to talk about a book I really liked. So today's sponsor is Audible, and the book I'm going to be talking about is called Fear the Sky. It's a sci-fi book. takes place on Earth, basically getting invaded by aliens. So you can actually get your first audiobook free when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audible.com slash corridorcast. Or you can even text message corridorcast to 500-500. Those are both good ways to get into this program. So Fear the Sky, what kind of book is this? It's a sci-fi book. Basically, aliens, like there's a million aliens on a spaceship heading towards Earth. And they don't, they don't care about humans. They just want our planet. And, you know, humanity is not really any the wiser right now, except that they've sent Eight special force androids ahead of time, imprinted with very smart people. So it's like you got actual aliens running around in android bodies here on the Earth. And their whole purpose is to basically deactivate the whole nuclear program on on Earth because the aliens, they want to live here. They don't want it to be all radioactive. And so that's the thing. There's a scientist on Earth who has discovered this whole plan. And so now they're trying to they're trying to form a resistance against them and they have to do it very stealthily because there's these satellites in orbit who have lasers that can like kill people instantly from space. And so it's, it's this really cool story of trying to fight back against an overwhelmingly powerful force without any of that powerful force even noticing that they're resisting. It's a really fun thriller, really high-paced, high-octane science fiction. 
yeah, no, it's, it's a great book. I've read it twice. Or rather, I should say, I've listened to it twice. Because I have. That's, that's how I've listened to it. It's a good book. It's, it's the first of the trilogy, so there's two more books after that. And yeah, I recommend it. And if you want to get this book itself, you can do that by going to audible.com slash CorridorCast or even text messaging CorridorCast to 500-500. They also have things like Audible Originals, which are exclusive audio titles created by celebrated storytellers from worlds as diverse as theater, journalism, literature, and more. They're pretty sweet. It's like Audible's like, hey, we want to have some sweet original content too, and they're making it. So check it out. It's part of uh, your membership. (laughs) Thanks for sticking through that. I do highly recommend checking out Fear the Sky. But in the meantime, let's get back to this podcast and talk with Andrew. And we're back. I recommend that book. It's a good one. That was a great ad read. I really liked it. I've never that was that was uh, that was funny. I've never done that before. Yeah. How does it feel having your first sponsor? It feels pretty great. Cool. Yeah. It means that this is uh, becoming a thing that can. I mean, what is free cash? Well, did we they, to did they reach people. out to? Can I ask? Did they reach out to you? You reached out to them. Well, we already have a pre-existing relationship with Audible, so I think it may be. Uh, Flourished out of that. Uh, I, don't know, I don't actually deal directly with the brands. That's like more of a Jake and Christian thing. Right, right. Yeah, let's just bring on more cool <clears throat> people got... like yourself to the podcast. And yeah, just makes it all a little bit a little bit easier for everybody. So I was curious. I got some questions for you. Corridor oh. Digital. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Okay, well, it's Corridor now. Just Corridor. Yeah. Um, you must get hit up all the time for advertising requests. How do you decide, like, you know, this I is one that will just be. say no to everything. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. That's that's a very very no, but rough you, oversimplification. But it's it, like right? um, I don't know how much corridor as a company gets hit up. Uh, those emails kind of get filtered out before they reach me. Mm. But I know I personally get hit up a lot of the time um, to help out, like maybe do some freelance on the side or like do stuff. And I'm, most of the time, I'm just like, I don't have the time or energy for that. Sorry. And it's usually from friends being like, Hey, you're someone I know who does visual effects. Can you can you do some visual effects for me? And I'm like, Listen. If I was unemployed, I would take you up on this, but I I'm struggling to find my own time right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> if it's a if it's like personally speaking outside of work, if it's something that uh, that interests me, mm. like right now I'm learning C4D and Octane. So mm. like if it's like, hey, need us something rendered? It's like, man, I'm doing this in my free time. Like, of yeah. course, yeah, mm-hmm, let's go. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, but otherwise, like I usually yeah turn on most stuff because like I want to focus all my work. Here at work, you know, yeah. and not get too excited about stuff outside of work. I want to put my, my creative energy here. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I will yeah. accept some. Sometimes I'll accept jobs outside of work, but that's mostly just because it's like I my the most important thing is that it doesn't impact corridor. Mm-hmm. It's like, is this something I can do in like a day or two over the weekend? I'll do that. Sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the vast majority of the time, I don't do anything. I think that's this. Like, I, I listen to a lot of the Tim Ferriss podcast. Okay, he talks about yeah, he has like top athletes, actors. I think he was talking about um, James Cameron or something. He was talking to like uh, like an assistant for like a huge director, and uh, his his sole job was to say no to people. Uh, <laughs> like, it's basically no. the filter, and like just hundreds of requests a day but he has to read them because every now and then there would be like yeah you get the ones that are worthwhile yeah go on the conan show or whatever like where it would just be like okay this actually fits with what i know they would want but their default answer for everything is no and it has to be no Mm -hmm. because otherwise you would get nothing done no time yeah there's a great book called uh the one thing um and it's about uh 
it's about that, like prioritizing your life. And it, and it gives these examples of like these top um, like contributors, like scientists who, you know, most scientists at best might put out like one paper every three years or something. Yeah, yeah. And then there's this one scientist who does like six or seven a year. And then they're like, what does he do differently? And it's like, well, he he shuts himself off from the world. He only teaches for, for like at this university for three months. Then he closes his door. Everybody knows he's working and nobody approach. And he, and if you go to his website and you try to reach him, he says, I don't have an email address because if you, if you need to reach me, you already know how to. Oh, snap. No, yeah. It's man. like, it's this idea of like, man, when you, when you let other people, uh, there's another one. Uh, email is a, to-do list that anyone in the world can add to. Mm. Oh, gosh. Which is so true, I right? thousands dude. of unread emails. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude, it's like... Heck, is, your, is your Gmail just like thousands? It's like 420,000 or something like that. 420, wow. No, but what? like... On, but it's because I get a it. lot of like emails like every time I get a new subscriber, every time I get a new mention on Twitter. That all just goes to my one email address. So you don't mock them as out. red? No, it, it's automatically getting filtered. So it's oh, not in like my main okay. email, but it still adds to my overall email unread list. Yeah. Gmail's got to start culling that stuff for us because we're not going to do it. Everybody's got hundreds of thousands of emails in their Gmail. We're never going to read it. I'm just kind of bad at self-management of stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of it's junk mail, though, you know, just right. the stuff that. But this is actually something I wanted to ask you. Mm. you oh, yeah. You're running Polygon. Right, you're yeah. ma- you're married. Mm-hmm. Do you have a kid? Yeah, you have a kid. Just turning one in a few days. Oh okay. wow! Congrats. Okay. <laughs> wow. Um, and you're you're running your YouTube Blender Guru. Mm. What else? Hobbies? Anything? Um. Do you have time for hobbies? Yeah. No. I mean, I play like an hour of Overwatch. Okay. At night. That's okay. about it. Okay, that counts. <laughs> how, yeah. how do you manage all of your stuff, man? Like, what what are your time management skills like? How how is that working for you? Like. How do you do it? How do you do all the things that you want to do and and raise a family? Um, you know, and there's a lot of stuff, man. I mean, okay, so I don't want to pretend like I've got it all together. No one has it all together. I have and, every single aspect of my life. Ren yeah. <laughs> is, a is the lie. exception. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's. I feel like you just make room for it as you go. It's like. Okay, I had a baby, and now, uh, now this is my weekend. Like maybe I'll we can't go out together. We, you know, baby's got to go to sleep at certain times. So now I'm just doing this, and that sort of fit in there. And then it's like Polygon. Okay, now we've just launched models, and so now we've got to hire a modeling team, and we've got to manage those models, uh, the number of vertices, and you hit a new challenge. Like all oh, the artists, uh, some of the work that's that's uh, being released isn't up to par. Why did that happen? So then you've got to put in, you know, this sort of thing. And it just sort of tags on. Um, and along the way, what you have to do is realize when you're sort of, you're not using your time optimally, okay. right? Mm-hmm. So uh, replying to YouTube comments is not the best use of your time because anybody could do that. Anybody could pretend or, or reply on my behalf or do something like that. That doesn't require you know, the best use of my time. What's the best use of my time is doing the only thing that I can do that no one else on my team can do, which is YouTube videos. Right. So that's the best use of my time. And the last year I've realized I've been so preoccupied with the Polygon stuff that I haven't been able to spend the right amount of time on YouTube. So that was a time uh, error 
and inefficiency of my of my time. And it's yeah, it's like it's asking yourself constantly: Is this the best use of my time? Is this the most valuable a way to spend my time? And usually, it's not. Mm. Like most of the day, you're doing stuff which is not the best use of your time. But it's like being aware of it and trying to guide it back. That's what I, I mean. Re, the, the book, the one thing that's mm-hmm. really good. I'd recommend that. So this this professor, this writer, this scientist that you were talking about just now. Yep. Sounds like he secludes himself. That's his method of dealing with it, right? Yeah. He'll seclude himself. He'll lock the door. No email. People aren't. I'm not going to give people a chance to get to me. Yeah. So and that I it can... sounds like uh, like an asshole move, right? And that that's the thing. People don't want to do it. They don't want to say. That's why saying no to people via email is so so hard. Like people are like, oh, I don't know. How do, how do you say no? It's it's like the alternative is is like, well, they're the asshole. They were the, they were the one that was uh, basically asking you to give up some of your time to answer their request. Like it's not rude to say that this is my time, and uh, I can hearing it does sound like it's an asshole move, but it's like it, it's not rude to to value your time. And like what I tell people, like my way of saying no is like, I, it's nothing personal as a blanket rule. I just don't, you know, agree to, um, I don't know, book request or, a, or, or whatever. Um, because I'm choosing to focus my time on Blender and Polygon so I can make more tutorials for more people. Yeah, I know people are always asking for more tutorials. Oh yeah. The moment you publish a new tutorial, they're like, all right, where's the next one? You're like, Oh, come on. Give yeah. Me a come moment. on. <laughs> Yeah, got a voracious appetite for tutorials. Do you do you read a lot of books? Um, yeah, I t- I'm one a month. Yeah, okay. That's, that's not, do, yeah, do you primarily uh, listen or physically read? Physically read. Okay, yeah, yeah. I I do really like uh, physically reading books. Yeah. I just it's hard to put aside the time to actually do that. Yeah, I, so, I like I got the Kindle. I love the Kindle. Yeah, yeah, so good because it's instant. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I everyone says it, but like I'm such like a physical book kind of guy. I like mm-hmm. turn the pages and like you know making marks in the book and whatnot. I don't what? like the fact that it's like when you open the book, it's like now you got this huge stack there and this tiny little page, and you got to like eh, hold it down, hold it up with your elbow while you read it. I hear you. It's like yeah. I love the Kindle. It's like so. I recently read The Expanse. There's like three, the first three books at least, but I read them in physical book form, which is the first time I'd done that in a very long time because I usually use Kindle. Yeah, and it was like a refreshing experience having being able to actually turn the pages. But by the end of it all, I was like, I. I'm not going to continue doing that because it's just like it's so inconvenient carrying around a big book and then it's like it's heavy and it's like all the complaining that I can do about this is something that, you know, humanity has never dealt with. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, whatever. But I'm going to stick with just reading Kindle off my phone because I got I got a big phone. Oh, you go. Nice big screen. Yeah, it's it's convenient. You know, it's backlit. And it's usually way cheaper, the Kindle version. Yeah. Yeah. No but shipping. I, I do the vast majority of my book reading through listening just because it's mm. anytime I'm walking my dog, r- driving to work half mm-hmm. an hour each way. Yeah. 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 In LA, you'd be silly not to use that, that time in the car to learn something or. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. what would you say, uh, speaking of learning, what would you say are your top three nonfiction books for like bettering your life? Oh, snap, man. Well, I mean, it's not like one size fits all, but like, okay, if you want to get into business, you want to have your own thing. I highly recommend the E-Myth, terrible name for a book. E-Myth? The E-Myth, which stands for the Entrepreneurial Myth. Oh, I thought it was like Electronic Myth. I know, that's why it sounds so dumb. Reminds me of uh, 
I have this 360 camera that I put on a pole, and Clint's always saying, "You got your E staff, dude." It's like it's like an electronic like Gandalf staff, man. It's, it's hilarious <laughs> on his E board with his E staff. So E the E myth for uh, yeah. So business people who want to do business, what it what it uh, what it distills is like the number one reason that most, especially if you're an artist, I recommend that book because so many artists or like if you're a chef, if you're good at what you do. The, the book uses this analogy of like, there's a pie maker, right? She makes really good pies. And all her friends say, you should open up a pie store. And she's like, I'll open up a pie store. So she has a pie store. And then years, like two years later, she's like not being able to pay the bills. She gets into work at like 5 a.m. She leaves at like midnight. Her, her life is a mess. And it's like, what's happened is that she is a technician, a technician, meaning like she does the technical work. She does the thing Mm -hmm. that you're selling, but to be a successful business person, you have to give that up to somebody else. You have to release the reins. You have to be good at delegating and to delegate. You have to be able to communicate. Like how do you make a good pie? Cause if I just give it to a bunch of chefs and say, all right, you do the pie thing. They're going to mess it up. So it's like, the book it explains very well, which I haven't seen any other book do very well, is like for, for an artist, for a, for somebody who, who does the work, it's so hard to give that up. Yeah. Um, but it gives the real example that like if you don't, you won't succeed. Most small businesses will fail for this very reason, that mm. you're good at this one thing and now you made it your business and it's not going to work like that. You have to be able to show other, hire other people to do the thing. Because otherwise the business isn't going to run itself. Like somebody has to run the business and that's mm-hmm. your role. If you want to be a technician, if you just like making pies, go work for somebody who makes pies, <laughs> right? And it's it's a like, it's an uncomfortable read if you are, especially if you run a business where you're that's currently you, it'll be a very uncomfortable read. Is that how you felt? Yeah. I mean, anyone who reads it will be like, oh no, this is me. This is, oh, I do this too much, you know? But it's it's the alternative is you just don't read it and then your business will fail or whatever you know. Yeah. So how how did how did you go from like starting Polygon right mm-hmm. and you enjoy working in three D you enjoy being in Blender and then you have you have to pass that off to somebody else like what was that like? Yeah, I mean, well, so it was before Polygon actually. So Blender Guru, like we we started make the first product I ever made was an ebook which I wrote and um, it was a success and it made enough money that I could quit my job. I was a debt collector at Toyota. Really? I was, <laughs> oh. I would call, I, I wasn't the physical one. I'm not big enough to be the physical. I was about to say. But I would call them up on the phone and go, you got you to gotta pay. That sounds stressful, man. Eh, you get one a day. One a day, which would go mental at you. And you go, all right, that's my one a day. But everyone else was, most people are just like, oh, I forgot to pay. Yeah, mm-hmm. I bet most people already know. Yeah, the, yeah, it's just like facing reality. Like, oh gosh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> but then you the meet those. I've been dreading. Yeah, but then you have those guys that are. Yeah, they've, they, oh, man. Some people. It it just it opened my my world to like the fact that people just take on in, incredible amounts of debt, not realizing the paperwork because they're like, yeah, but I got that truck. That's mine now. And it's like, <laughs> dude, the interest you're paying is insane. Like they're defaulting on like their their second payment. It's like, really? dude. Oh. That sounds stressful. Yeah. No, nah, but anyway. So you sold your first book. Yeah. So I sold my first book. I quit my job at Toyota. And then what was, I. What was the name of that book, by the way? The Wow Factor. The Wow Factor. $47 each. 
was expensive. Wow, that's a that's a that's like a textbook. Yeah, but it was basically like twenty tutorials rolled into one. It was okay. like mm-hmm. teaching you how to do the like color grading, glow, glare, um, specular highlights. In and that was a, this in Blender or in After Blender? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so anyway, so I did that, and then I think my second one was the Nature Academy, which was an even bigger thing. That was like a series of video tutorials with free models, so like plant models tree models, like textures of bark, that kind of thing. And I was taking all those photos myself and I made the plants myself. And then for this, the next project I made was the Architecture Academy. And that was when I started hiring people to help me build the assets. Because we had we wanted to make like a library of furniture and textures. And it's basically the polygon of today. Gotcha. Now, at what point in that process did you read E-Myth? Just recently. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you started figuring that out way back then, though, that like, hey, you can't do all this on your own. You have to get some help. And that yeah. was when you started delegating away some of that technical work. Yeah. I Actually, my dad gave me a uh, a course. He bought me for Christmas, like this all internet right. marketing course okay. in Australia. Cool. And um, it was like a, I don't know, a three-day thing or something like that. But I, I learned what was possible. And something that they taught a lot in the course was like, you got to have uh, a VA, virtual assistant, in, high one in the Philippines, super cheap, and they're really good. And, I was, and, I was, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then they're like, no, you need one. I'm like, why? And it's like, who's, who's handling your emails? I'm like, of course it's me. It's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> How are you going to do that when you get to this scale? Like you have to right. start delegating. And it kind of like drilled into me that the value of being able to hire people and then that's taken care of. And then that is what will enable you to do what you do well. Maybe make a better product. Because the thing is, like, if you're, if you're just, like, answering email all day, think of the disservice you're doing to the customers that you aren't making the next product or, or you're not doing a free update for that thing that they all bought. Yeah. Like, you could be giving real value to the masses of people. But because you're answering a single email, you're not doing that. Well, that's a huge disservice to all these hundreds of thousands of other people, you know? Yeah. It's like if, if Corridor was to, yeah, answer every email that got sent in or every YouTube comment, like how frequent would your uploads be? Uh, every other decade or so. Yeah, mm. exactly. Right? So that's a, whereas when you're uploading regularly, you're bringing satisfaction to the masses, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, that's like when you put it in that that context, it's one or the other. Well, then obviously that's the, that's the smart one. So how far <clears throat> along doing all those things did you get the inspiration to start Polygon? Yeah, it was... <laughs> Polygon spelled with two I's, by the way. Two right? I's. So is it, is it Polygon? No, just Polygon. Polygon. Polygon, I know. <laughs> well, every name is taken. It's no, like, I totally hear you. Dude, I spent like a week going through all the different names to, to name the company. And it was like... So it had to be something which was related to 3D, but wasn't so targeted that it would like limit us in the future yeah, yeah. like if we just made it like textures.com that's <laughs> or, a real or website like blender 3d textures.co exactly yeah <laughs> you know like then what we're gonna start selling 3ds max it doesn't fit the name anymore so it's like and eventually i realized like you have to go with a misspelling you have to do the <laughs> typical startup thing remove a letter add a letter change the letter <laughs> so yeah polygon yeah. and then i didn't even know that then polygon is a big company with a y P-O-L-Y-G-O-N. That's that big, like, game... Yeah, journalism uh, company, right? Journalism. <laughs> yeah, like game reviews and... Uh, and I was like, ah, oh, that's annoying. Oh, well. <laughs> but, yeah. 
So real quick, I, I just for those of you watching or listening who don't know anything about 3D modeling or texturing or lighting or anything like that, I want to quickly just break down what a texture is. Because most of the time when people think, I'm just going to slap a texture onto that, they think that you just take a picture of like uh, cardboard or something mm-hmm. and apply it to a box and that's it. Mm-hmm. They, they just think that like maybe that picture is being wrapped around a box. But it's so much more than that because it's not just a picture. It's It's like light interacts with cardboard or wood or any material for that matter, this carpet here, in very different ways. And there's lots of different channels within that texture that dictate that. So, I mean, do you want to kind of break down what makes, like what are all the shaders within a single texture? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So basically for for every texture, so let's say, let's use the example of a wood table, right? Okay. Um, there's the color, right? And that's the one everyone knows. It's what you would get if you were to stand over it with an iPhone and take a photo of a wood table. You'd see the color of it. Um, and that, that color includes like all the oranges and yellows and even the black. Yeah, uh, like- the grain, everything that you would see with the, well, yeah. It, it, it should be just the raw color of like the actual material underneath it. Then on top of that, um, you have got gloss, uh, gloss or, or roughness. Those are that, So that is a map called the gloss or roughness map. They are interchangeable terms. They're just inverts of each other. Right. Some software uses roughness. Some software uses gloss. But they're the same thing, just inverted. We're, we're roughness guys over here. <laughs> Unlike you glossy guys over there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that one is determining how sharp the reflection is. So a mirror, obviously, is the sharpest of all reflection. because like chrome. It's, yeah, chrome. That's super sharp. Whereas rubber is one of the most diffused. You wouldn't see your reflection in rubber because it's so smoothed out. But there is, amazingly, the same amount of reflection in rubber as there is in a mirror. It's a dielectric material. Assuming (laughs) that it's not metal, which, like chrome, that would be something else. Uh, But it's like the same amount of reflection. It's just, like, spread out in such a large way on the rubber that it looks like you're not seeing reflection, but there is reflection. I hear. So it's like when you have a mirror, uh, the light ray is bouncing off of that mirror and heading right back at you. Yeah. And that's a very sharp angle, whereas uh, the more rough it is or the less glossy it is, that roughness, or sorry, that reflection angle kind of gets more and more outwards until it's like rubber, where it's like hitting it and then directly going sideways. Yeah. Is that kind of? Yeah, it would. I I mean, I got to make sure I say it correctly, but yeah, it's like. The more porous something is, the more the rays are just going to bounce off in random directions. Okay. So like a brick or a concrete or something like that. You're not seeing the reflection because it's all like bouncing around. Um, I'm sure I'm messing something up. But that is but anyway, different yeah. from specular, like a specular map, right? So that is the confusion. Um, specular was the old workflow. Okay. Where you had to tell the rendering engine how much reflection this thing should have. Um, now we don't use the specular as much anymore. Okay. Shouldn't be used, really. If you're using a metallic workflow, this is getting like really like inside baseball. But it's like, yeah, there, there's like, so PBR, uh, physically based rendering. That's what it's Yeah, for. yeah, it is. Um, that came along. I mean, it, it's been around for a while, but I guess like the last three to five years, it sort of started to pop up. Um, most rendering engines, sorry, most um, game engines now use use PBR and a lot of other, remarkably still some offline renderers don't handle like a metallic workflow. I think V-Ray is one. Hmm. I could be totally wrong I on that. I tried using V-Ray. I didn't like it. There's a lot of reasons not to like it. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, there's... Uh, <laughs> there's... Uh, it, it. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So the, the, specular, the specular map was there to, to show 
like how much how how much reflectivity this surface should have. But re- reflectivity is different to the roughness of the reflection. So a dielectric material, that's a technical term, but it basically is like 90% of materials because it's a material that is not metal. So in the real world, there is two types of materials. There is a dielectric material and there is a metal material. Okay. And the <laughs> it's metal, metal or it's not. Yeah. A metal material would have, um, could have higher ranges of like index of refraction, which would be like the reflectivity. Whereas dielectric material is going to have by default, the index of refraction will be 1.45, which is like the base. I mean, it could be slightly more, slightly less. Okay. But that is the base of it, which means the reflectivity should be the same. So that's what I mean. Like rubber and this wooden table, tile, that will all have the same reflection. The differences in its reflectivity appearance would be in the gloss, the glossy map or the roughness. That makes sense. How yeah. rough it actually looks. So that's why when you use a proper um, a proper shader that accounts for this. So we've got one in Blender, the principal BSDF based on this Disney shader system, mm-hmm. which works amazingly. Um you just keep the specular value the same. It's there if you want artistic control, but you should just leave it. And then you just tweak the roughness depending on if it's paper, you turn the roughness all the way up. If it is chrome, you turn it all the way down. You know The way I've always liked uh, uh, describing like roughness versus uh, glossy, or not necessarily roughness versus glossy, but like no roughness versus full roughness is like a Christmas ornament, one of those like nice reflective red Christmas balls. If you mm-hmm. crank up the roughness, suddenly it's a frosted... Yes. Uh, Christmas ball. Yes. It's more and more frosted, uh, more rough it gets. Yeah, exactly. That's a good, yeah. So beyond that, we have, uh, now we have to tell the light what angle it's hitting it. So we we use normal maps. We used to use bump maps. Mm -hmm. And a bump map is basically just a map that tells the renderer the geography, the topography, topography (laughs) (laughs) of of an object or a material. Uh, But now we use normal maps. Now, why is that? What is a normal map? Okay, so a normal map is okay. So I, I will be honest. I have heard that there is a difference between a bump map and a normal map. The, so a bump map was just black and white. Mm-hmm. It's a black and white map, and it would just go up and down. The normal map, from my understanding, has an extra axis in it. I don't understand how that would work. I think, I think it kind of distinguishes like which direction uh, a slope is kind of facing. Let's say you have like a hill in the or like a big bump in the middle of your texture. Like one side of it will be purple, the other side will be. Uh, green, and then there's one more color, yeah. and it kind of just distinguishes like a little bit more accuracy. Of yeah, the direction. This. That's true. You're probably right. Yeah, yeah. It kind of gives a little bit more uh, fidelity to to a bump as opposed to just like up and down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, but essentially in its form. I mean, I've yeah. You can switch between a black and white bump map and then a normal map if you had them both, and they're gonna look pretty similar. It's not that big of a change, but anyways, normal map is the established standard. It's a purple-looking map. You always identify it. There it is. That's the purple one. That's the purple one. That's the one <laughs> I got to use, and you got to put it in the right spot, and there it is. And it gives you bump. So uh, wood grain, right? It's the grain so that as you run your fingers, your nails across the wood, you would feel the little bumps. That's what it's detecting. And it typically makes a, a material look awesome. The moment you add it, you're like, ah, lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the final map is displacement, displacement. which is related to which the normal. Which is also my favorite map. Yeah, displacement map is my favorite, mainly just because uh, what we use uh, Octane Render uh-huh. uh, utilizes displacement maps better than I think most renderers. Now I don't okay. use cycle. Do you primarily use cycles yes. renderer, which is a myself, the, yeah, the pro- 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 bah, proprietary Blender renderer? I don't it? think it's proprietary. I think oh, it's, it's open source. 
Oh, okay. Well, I meant like it's like the main one that Blender uses. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. The default one? The, like the... the default. Yeah. yeah it but is like, default. so the difference between, say, a normal map is that, and a, and a displacement map is that a displacement map, displacement map actually displaces the geometry of mm-hmm. the render. So, whereas a normal map, if you put that on like a sphere uh, of like, say, a rocky pebble material, right? Like, uh, like a gravel road. Uh, when you're looking straight at the the sphere, like in the center of it, with a light at a certain angle, you can change the angle of that light, and it'll look like the light uh, is wrapping around the pebbles correctly. But mm. when you look towards the edges of the sphere, you can still see that it's that smooth. sphere is perfectly smooth. Yeah, it's you can. It kind of gives away uh, the illusion a little bit. It because it, at the end of the day, it is a little bit of a hack. You know, it's mm. kind of just hacking together. Oh, it's it's supposed to look this bumpy, whereas a displacement map legitimately makes it that bumpy it yes it pushes out or pulls in the geometry and at octane and that happens at the render level it's not actually moving the polygons themselves of the 3d model mm-hmm. uh because back in the day displacement maps uh weren't used because you would have to put so many polygons in your model you'd have to subdivide to the point that like your 3d model was like a couple gigabytes just to be able to displace those uh polygons but now with a displacement map at least in octane probably other uh, renders these days too it just it happens at the rendering levels. You can have just a few polygons, but you still have like really nice finessed um, displacement. Yeah, I think it's got different names, but micro displacement might be the term it's used to, yeah, define that. Yeah, when it goes to the rendering stage, that's when it starts displacing things. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So, so I guess to explain to the viewers, like the normal map that we were mentioning doesn't add anything to the render times, which makes it amazing oh, because for real? you've got like yeah, you have know free that. rendering time. Oh. You've just got. You went from a surface that looks flat and boring, you put a normal map on it and it just looks amazing. Because it's free, because the geometry of the thing didn't change. The little tiny wood grains and the little bumps, that's not actually there. It's just the illusion of it. That's why I think I tweeted once, it's like the guy who discovered the normal map must have been jumping up and down. <laughs> like, oh my God. We've just created like an infinite amount of detail for free. I think they were originally developed for video games. Like 10, Most. 15 years ago, I think, yeah. uh, maybe maybe a little bit more than 15 years ago, because it's like they're trying to get more detail in their video game assets, but of course, you know, you run off consoles or old PCs at the time, they're kind of limited in terms of power, so it's like, we got to squeeze more ability out of our limited resources, and yeah. they came up with normal maps, and that kind of changed the game for a lot of uh, 3D games. Yeah. One like, thing I love about your tutorials is the fact that you know where to save time, like, in all these little spots, like you're saying with the normal map. Yeah. It's like uh-huh. free, mm-hmm. free render time, you know? Yeah. Like, I, that's so that's so invaluable to me, like, to be able to know, hey, guys, we got to save all the time here, because time is money, time is very valuable. Yeah. So, like, what... Where where do you where like are you just constantly looking for areas to to I don't want to say cut corners but like are you looking for for areas to you know save time here and there in all aspects when you're working in 3D or does it expand out into in like you're saying with emails and delegating and stuff you know uh-huh, uh-huh. so yeah how you're trying to save time how do you save time how do you save more time well I mean it's honestly it depends on the project like so I just made this kitchen tutorial which I uploaded. A couple of weeks ago. Great tutorial, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, nice. You saw it. Okay. Um, and that one, because I did an animation through it, I had to cut those render times down. Mm-hmm. And because render times were like 24 minutes per frame. Oof, that's... 
That's unacceptable. With two GTX 1080 Ti's. Dang, okay. Yeah, it was it was really long, and I was like, oh my god. And then I remade the scene, so I just opened up a new scene, and I remade it from scratch. And I got the, like, and then when I was remaking it, because I know everything that's there. This is actually a cool trick. Like, if you're making anything, even just for the sake of, like, you're not making a tutorial. You've just finished something, a finished scene. If you just start a new file and you remade it, sounds like a lot of work, but it's actually, you'll get it done in like a tenth of the time because you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you will discover so many errors in the original one, <laughs> like a map that wasn't in the right spot, a feature that you turned on that you're not using anymore, but is now adding 50% more render time. Uh, you'll, you'll go like, okay, now I'm doing the lighting. Hmm. I've got an HDR in this. Is that the right HDR? And then you go, what if it looks better without the HDR? What if it? What if I try? And you do both of them. And that was when I discovered for this kitchen one that <laughs> HDRs were doubling my render times and it wasn't adding anything to the thing. I went, what? <laughs> so I just disabled it, saved half the render time there. And then it was like, then I had to learn to, yeah, the trees. I had these trees in the background. Trees are the, that, that is a problem to solve at Polygon. We want to try to make a tree which actually looks good but renders fast. And like you look around online, like all trees are just so complex. Yeah. It's it's like the worst asset that every because trees are everywhere. If you're doing any sort of scene, even an in interior, because you've got trees outside, trees are everywhere. You won't find a place on earth that you really can't see trees unless you're in a desert. It's like they're so complex and they're so dense. And if the camera is moving, you obviously you can tell if it's a title card, like if it's if it's yeah. a, a static card. Like a flat yeah. piece of paper. Exactly. So you often need geometry if the camera is close enough to it. But in this case, I realized that, yeah, if you render it just on a on a plane, the, the movement wasn't in like that bad that you couldn't, um, that it, it was okay to have that. So anyway, like I, I don't do that all the time. Like I don't like optimize things down to like crush it as, as low as I can go. But in this case, I was sort of forced to. Um, if I was just doing a still frame, I probably just, would have left everything as it is. Yeah, yeah. So you were in the need where you needed to save time. Yeah, exactly. Dude, you're yeah. blowing my mind right now, though. That's crazy. So you you build the scene, you do yeah. the thing, you're like, sweet, all right, 24 minutes, like, oh, I got to cut, cut some time down. So you start a new new project and you redo it. I typically do it three to four times. That's so cool. For a tutorial? Yeah. It's like... When, Remake it from scratch three or four times, yeah. When you, like, it's like, it's like when the power goes out and you lose and you forgot to save you know, and it's like, oh no, I lost all my work. I have to do it all over again. Like, I just spent <laughs> whatever you're doing, whether it's sound design or 3D or editing. So you're saying to go back, you go back and you do it again, and mm. you're gonna do it in like a third of the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. You'll you'll do it really fast, and you'll just discover so many things that would make it better. What that are, is what awesome. are some examples yeah. of things you do not compromise in terms of time, like? I mean, I know you're saying that you don't like necessarily try to make every step along the way super efficient, but what are things that no matter how much time you have to save, what are what are some examples of things that you're like this this is just how it is. It cannot get any faster than this because I refuse to let go of a certain amount of quality yeah. or whatever. Mm. Um in, in in the image, right? In yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um Um I mean I typically go for photorealism, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and to to get <laughs> no photo big deal. <laughs> And to 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 uh, or at least aim for it, yeah. right? You don't yeah. always get there, but you aim for it. And to do that, you have to. There are certain things that, um, like if the camera was close enough to that tree, for one of the shots, it actually was. So I just used the real tree. 
then I would have to use the tree because I don't want something that's going to break the image, mm-hmm. right? So that's it, it's it's discovering what you, what you're gonna what you can't compromise on when you actually reach it. You know, like um, what's another example? Yeah, like the geometry, like having physical displacement across something. Um, that is typically you obviously need a lot more of a denser mesh to have something like if you've got like a dirty like ground with rocks and all that kind of stuff on it and then you want to use a displacement map on it, you've got to have more geometry because otherwise you're going to have like little spikes. Like well, that's these what I'm saying. In Octane, like... you don't have to have that really okay. dense uh, geometry. Okay. Because it's, it's happening like after the fact. I can have like a single polygon, like a four-sided, uh, four-edged polygon and throw uh, a nice displacement map over it and it'll like look pretty good. But then in that case, it must be doing It's probably displacing it or subdividing it, but it's happening at the render level and it's happening pretty fast. Yeah, but the it, the the mesh would still be there. Um, what it could be doing, so we have just got it in Blender as well, adaptive subdivision, whereby the closer the, the it is to the camera, the oh. more it will subdivide it. Oh. And then the further oh. in the background, it will be less and less. Interesting, okay. Yeah, that so it like decimates nice. it as it's needed. It's really cool. Hmm, it could yeah. be doing that. I, I don't. I haven't used Octane, but yeah. And granted, I don't know enough <laughs> about how it works behind the scenes to know if I'm actually telling the truth about that. But I'm pretty certain because I can get some pretty, uh, really fast results. Uh, like it, it renders really fast. Mm. Uh, with Octane's with, pretty fast, isn't it? I've heard it's fast in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I've I've always found uh, its use of displacement mapping to be its strongest feature. Mm. Is Redshift available for Cinema 40? Yes. Yes. Have you used it? No. My friend uses Redshift. He swears by it. Everybody um, swear. I, I, I'm, I really want to do a video doing a render engine comparison. Uh huh. Because I feel like, oh man, everybody's well, using a render engine because they sort of prefer it or they do this. But like, I haven't seen any actual like breakdown of the same scene in each rendering engine. Uh, like Corona, everybody uses that in architecture. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's CPU based only. Ugh. Yeah, which is why. Like, where are? But they're like, we're proudly CPU based. I'm like, proud? Why are you proud about that? That's, that's not good. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I supposedly. It I am gives them proudly still starting my fires by rubbing two sticks together. Yeah, proudly. Yeah. But what do you say to the guys who don't have time to save time? I mean, no, it's, that, that's understandable. In, in like, if you're on a on a on a deadline and you've like literally got to just get this out, um, it could be cheaper to just put it out immediately because we've got to have this out in five hours and then send it to the render farm and you just throw money at it to solve that problem. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you can, yeah, like the same image. I, oh, I was listening to a talk by a guy who worked on Star Wars and he said he saved them $70,000 by uh, for their renders like because they had stuff in the background of these shots and they were rendering them at 4K or whatever that was needed. And he's like, it's in the background. It's out of focus. Let's render it at a quarter of the size and then just blur it. Yeah. And uh, you couldn't tell the difference and you save them $70,000 or something. In that's, like, that's, yeah. that's stuff that seems like it's like no brain. Like, because we're doing YouTube videos, you know, we're mm-hmm. not doing we, Star Wars. We, we do that sort of thing all the time. Oh, that's, that's just like, like base. by default. That's normal, you know? Like, no one's going right. to know the difference. I'm going to be adding fast blur to that anyway. I'm going to render that at 720, but not 4K. Like, part of me, I understand. It's like, Ren, Ren you're like, do 500 samples and then turn on the denoiser. I'm like, yeah. dude, but it's not going to be as good if I do like a thousand samples. Yeah. <laughs> I know, yeah. Because it feels like like sometimes it feels like cheating it's like i cut i lower the bar too much and i lower lower the quality in my mind you know mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. like but even though it's you know i lower i lower all these settings like it still feels like it can't be it's, it's not as good as it could be you know mm. i get stuck on that sometimes you know no, but being the professional is 
uh, it's delivering work. It's it's being able to like, I I think that's actually like a good thing. Like there are some artists you see on like Art Station or the you know elsewhere online, and they just do like amazing photorealistic work, but they release like one artwork a year, mm. and it's like yeah, th- that was obviously a personal project, and they spent forever on it and it looks amazing because it should but that's not it's well, not feasible in a in a work environment the most important thing an artist can do is just finish finish yeah. exactly because you can you can work on something forever you, you will can. always find things that you can perfect or change mm-hmm. or enhance or polish but at a certain point you, you obviously you have a lot of diminished returns at a certain point and pretty much our entire business model here at corridor is finding that exact moment where we start having diminished returns where it's like, it's taking too much effort to make this slightly better. Let's just, yeah. that's good enough. Let's move on. <laughs> so do you have, um, you've got like a, a schedule for yeah. like, do you know like the next three videos you're going to do? Next five. Next five? So, yeah. Okay. Which six. Maybe. For the record, usually isn't quite the case. We usually, we, we usually know what like the next two videos will probably be. Um, rarely five videos. We're out. stepping up this year, man. I know, we like, are. We're trying we're, hard. How many videos are you delivering this year? Uh, well, what's half of 51, 20, 24? I don't know. You're doing one every two weeks? That's the plan, that's the man. Plan, that, that's yeah. what we did last year. And I mean, that's, like, that's kind of been our plan forever. We, like Since the beginning of Corridor, their plan was put out a new video every other week. The challenge is maintaining that. There are I, times where it's like we end up kind of breaking into seasons where we'll go a couple months without uploading anything. Uh-huh. Uh, other times, uh, like Sam and Nico will leave to go do some sort of YouTube red show. And it's like, all right, our workforce is now cut in half. Obviously, we can't maintain that same schedule. Um, but yeah. that's yeah. impressive. It's that only possible with the team that you've, because like most, I mean, there's a lot of like really good, successful YouTubers who are too much of a perfectionist, and you notice that their uploads start being like every two months, every three months. Every that was me, man. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, my 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 Punisher channel. Yeah, I was like eight months for Carbo Warfare Two, freaking a year for this, a year for that, and then it's like. Not going to be able to sustain a channel, a business, no mm. way with that kind of thing. You know, I can't just yeah. drop. These I think hot it's worth doing are... every once in a while, going all in to you really like perfect your artistic vision. But even within that, you still are like having to end it at you certain have parts. To end it, and that's what I was saying. Is like the most important thing an artist can do is be like, "All right, this is done. It is finished. I'm hitting the render button. I'm hitting the export button. I'm hitting the upload button. Whatever it is that you do to like conclude the project." Nothing is more important than that. Yeah. Like, I would I would say this. Like, because we get a lot of, like, portfolios at Polygon. Okay. And if we see one where they have done, like, one or two really amazing pieces of artwork, but you can see looking at their timeline, that's, they worked on it for a year. That's less impressive than somebody who got, like, 70, 80% of the way, but they've been doing regular work. Or especially when it's been for a client because you know that a client had a deadline and a budget and they could deliver on that. Because, like, that's the thing. If you want to do this as a job, you have to realize that you're no longer an artist anymore. You're, what you're creating is, I don't know if the word is commodity, but it's like you, there, there's an expense to the amount of time you're spending on something and the client has a budget. You have to meet that budget and telling them, oh, but it's, it would be so much better if I could spend five more days on it. <laughs> They don't give a shit. It's your job to make it work as well as you can, the best you can within the time frame. Mm-hmm. So like one of the like the best guys we've had work for us was somebody who would like, we would tell him the deadline and he'd be like, all right, 
and he would do what he could within that. And you'd find out that he cut corners everywhere he could because he had to meet it. He didn't ever come to us and go, oh, sorry, going to need another two days, another three yeah. days. He yeah. never said, he was always ready at the right time because that is the mark of a professional. That is it. Uh-huh. It's like, it's you have to be able to do that. You have to be able to release. The, being a perfectionist, it's overrated. It's really <laughs> overrated. And if you look at, I, I talked about it in, um, I've got a talk on YouTube, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Artists. You can't watch it in America. Really? For some reason, it's got a trademark. And the, the creators, of, like, it was, uh, I did it at the Blender conference. Okay. And so it was posted to the Blender YouTube channel. It's got 2 million views. But you can't find it in America. Dude, you got to send it to us, man, because that sounds good. I, I want to watch that. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's because I used the title, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Artists, uh, based off that book yeah. by Stephen Covey. I think it's a uh, trademarked name. Well, that sucks. Well, anyways, uh, you, can, you can just type in the name. I'm sure somebody's re-uploaded it, whatever. But anyway, I talk about like why being a perfectionist isn't good. You think being a perfectionist works to your advantage, but it actually doesn't. Like top hardest, The top artists in history... Like like Picasso, you know him for like a few paintings. If you look at his work, like he's done thousands, like hunt, like it was something like one thousand fifteen hundred like tapestries. It was like several thousand paintings, several thousand sketches. Just the volume of work is insane. But you only know him for a few things and biting his ear off. Or something like that. Ripping his ear off. I don't know. Right. I've already said How more than I actually know. Yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> It's like <laughs> <laughs> Um and, and the other and uh it was I can't remember which book it was from, but yeah, it was saying like they 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 had a look at the um the composers like Mozart, Beethoven, all those the top composers. The the there's a direct correlation between the volume of work they produced and the number of hits they had. The, the more, the higher the volume of work they produced, the greater chance they had of having a hit. You don't know which one's going to become a hit. Which one's going to like... Ain't that the truth. Right? You never know which video is going to be <laughs> successful. Yeah. Tell us a video yeah. that you were surprised it didn't have as good a success as. Oh, gosh. All of them? Oh, yeah? <laughs> no, no, no. That's... that's. Um, I mean, there's a couple videos that we put a lot of effort into. I know a few years ago we did a video called Drone Star Wars which we thought was so epic. It was using like really cool new filmmaking uh, through drone racing. And we put a, like a whole Star Wars theme behind it. We're like, this video is going to be our most successful video of all time. And it performed like average. I was uh. like, okay. Uh, we did a video last year called Anime Fast and the Furious. Yeah. And that was a video we put a lot of time into. And we thought it was really cool, really epic. And it also just kind of performed average. Mm. And then we Anime this- self-driving car, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, then, yeah. But then it's like, We'll do a video where, uh, where Sam's like, hey, what if we just, like, try to make, like, a GTA video and just, like, walk around and, like, punch people in the face. Like, pretend, obviously, it's a video, and we'll spend a week on it. Or uh, let's shoot a video on an iPhone where we pretend to have a lightsaber that doesn't stop growing. Uh, yeah, stuff like that. And then right. that just, like, blows up. And it's like, well. I think it was the thumbnail for that. that coming. Because I saw Good that in my feed yeah. with the, the, the plane chopped in uh-huh. half. I'm like, I got to see that. Yeah, we put a lot of effort <laughs> It, I mean, yeah, it's like we put a lot of effort into our thumbnails. and mm. Yeah, it's, explain that, to the folks. You've got a guy whose full-time job is thumbnails. Basically, yeah. That's so, uh, crazy. Gabe, shout out to Gabe, yeah, man. Our, killing it. The audience knows Gabe. Uh, he's pretty much like the biggest uh, sweetheart of a grizzly bear. He's like, 
he's so soft spoken, but like really talented. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, he he has a lot of responsibilities, as we all do. But like his biggest responsibility is making thumbnails, because at the end of the day, the thumbnail and title is the barrier to entry to anyone viewing a YouTube video. Mm. It's like that is like the filter to anyone. The video can be amazing or it can be terrible. It doesn't matter. There's not the biggest correlation between how good a video is and how many views it is as much as there is a between how good the thumbnail and title is and how many mm, views it has. Right. So it's like if we can make our thumbnails better and it's not just a quality thing either. It's like it's not it's like does this grab an audience's eye at like such a small little like postage stamp size mm-hmm. is the title enticing enough without being too clickbaity and all that stuff. It's, yeah. it's really really hard it is actually yeah i because I, I was gonna ask you guys wh- how you go about making this thumbnails maybe i should talk to gabe yeah gabe, gabe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well it's like some of our older videos that maybe didn't perform very well like anime fast and furious for instance that uh used to be called anime self-driving cars mm-hmm. and we did two things after it, the video had like five hundred thousand views after like a couple months i think at more than that um uh, we went back and we changed the title to anime fast and furious a little bit more of a known ip a little bit more relatable yeah more relatable and we changed the thumbnail to be i think a little bit more ridiculous even and within a week got another million views whoa just doing that so it was like basically holy crap to a certain degree it was like free exposure and free money just by doing a small little change and suddenly the video got a lot more viewership just off of that little bit of effort that's crazy yeah because like you think of the amount of people that worked on that video and like yeah. all the, the acting, the lighting, the grip, the gap, all that kind of thing. Doesn't matter if the thumbnail wasn't right. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, what? Exactly. You get double the results by tweaking one little tiny thing. It's so important, isn't it? Yeah. It so is. we've been going back and trying to like identify with like maybe like our bottom like 30% performing videos and just like changing the thumbnail and title on them and seeing what happens. Like we did a Damn. video last year. Uh, I guess it's technically before your time, but it was uh, The Sun, Brett, dressed up as a zombie. Uh, it was like a zombie matador type video. And. Mm. That video got like maybe three hundred thousand views, and then like at the end of the year, we had changed the thumbnail and title, and I think that video is sitting at like five or six million views now. Whoa! Yeah, that is crazy. Well, you know, <laughs> when you say you change it to like Fast and Furious, is there ever a danger of that IP guy coming and taking money from you, or like uh, demonetizing a video? I mean, I don't think that. I mean, in a title, I don't think that's possible because okay. if they did make a stink about it, we could just change the name of it. But I don't huh. think they even have the right to that. Mm. I don't, I, yeah, I don't this, that, this is a question for Jake. I'm not yeah. too familiar with like copyright law or anything like that. But uh, okay, yeah. I think it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So going back to uh, quantity and consistency versus being a perfectionist, mm-hmm. right? So you think that is the key to getting better at a craft and to honing in your skills and being a professional is consistency, yeah? Yeah, but okay, so here's the thing though. That... There has to be – you can go too far, okay? Okay. okay. Yeah. I don't think daily renders are a good idea. Oh, what about – Are about you not a people fan? <laughs> <laughs> I do like people's work. He's a standout outlier in the case that he is – he does do amazing professional work on the side, and he does these, uh, these videos, which are really high polished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you can tell the difference between that and his daily renders. Yeah. His daily renders, you can tell, took a day. Mm-hmm. Um, the the trouble with, I think, a day render is that uh, if you limit yourself down too far, there's only so much for one. There's only so much you can do. But also, you're, you're going to limit how far you'll explore into things, challenges, right? Because, it, like, what's something you're, you're not good at in 3D? Like, 
Um, uh, not your strong suit. Hair. Uh, modeling. Modeling. Modeling a character. Animating. Animating, dude. Okay. Animating. Yeah. So if I gave you a day to do something, you like, and you had to deliver something at the end of the day, not you're not going to do that. Nope. Exactly. But to be a good artist, you got to challenge yourself. Yes. You've got to learn these new things. Yeah, yeah. So a day is too short of a time. I think a week is good because I think you can do a lot in a week. You're not going to be able to make a short film. You're not going to be able to pull that off maybe. Yeah. But a week for a, for a single image to do it properly, I think that's enough time. Now, but that, I mean, it's enough time to make like a good image and learn something, but like how productive is that week? Because we can't really do that here at Corridor where it's like, I'm going to spend a week making an image. It's like, all right. Uh, oh, right. No, but yeah, like what if, what if someone's job is to do a, an image every day for someone's Instagram? Right, a yeah. daily render. Yeah. What, what do you tell them? Like, what do you what do you say? Like, hey, you know, you need to expand. You need to reach outside of the box, and you need to challenge yourself. But they only have a day. So, what do you do? If they only have a day, only have a day, or or a week. You know, depend. It's just the scale. Like, they have to deliver a month's worth in a week, or they have to deliver. Right. Well, I mean, in that case, you've got to pull from. Uh, you got to find ways to to cut down that time. Like, I think Beeple uses several asset libraries. Um, he doesn't model the cars and the buildings and all that stuff in it. He just pulls from it. So you've got to get good at that. Okay. Um, and I think, yeah, you, you definitely would get good at figuring where to cut corners to make something look bigger than it actually was, um, using backplates instead of rendering the full scene. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want to make it sound like daily renders are like a, like a terrible idea. Um, that you, you will learn, but the trouble is, is for a beginner, it's a terrible piece of advice to tell people to do a daily render because and they say this for like um like when i was learning painting and drawing and i i messaged a bunch of like famous painters and drawers and things and i i told them i'm gonna spend six months learning drawing and painting i want to get good at it and i got a series of questions can i ask you some questions like yeah i said what's a top like what is a common mistake people have when they come to like painting or or drawing And, and some guy says something i always remembered he said Speed painting is terrible advice for a beginner. There's lots of pros that put out these videos where they show they they painted this environment and it took them they do it in like one hour. Yeah. For a beginner, that's horrible. Because if you try to do that, you're you're not gonna understand what you're doing. You're not gonna know where you can cut corners and you're gonna adopt sloppy habits. So if you're just learning 3D and you're doing a daily render, you're going to have sloppy habits. Your materials aren't going to be perfect because you don't know materials. You don't understand all the maps and all that kind of thing. You're not going to have the right lighting. The, the color is going to be off. You're going to make so many mistakes repeatedly. Um, if you got feedback on each of those images from like, uh, like if you're in a class and the professor or the top teacher, whatever, <laughs> what are the name? Tutors, whatever, was like there to give you feedback on every image. I think it's valuable. Uh, like you, you could, you could learn from that. Yeah. But most people aren't in a position where they can have regular feedback. Yeah. 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 People want to solo on the guitar, mm-hmm. but they need to learn their scales first. Yeah. The fundamentals. So what are the fundamentals of 3d? What are the scales? I think it's actually good to, good to, question. to break it off and do like, yeah, spend, spend the right time on like, okay. So modeling is the foundation of the building. Okay. Right. If you got the, got a wrong model it's not going to look good yeah it's got like not enough polys and you got like wonky bits doesn't matter what it's going to look it's going to look crap yeah. so you got to learn good modeling um modeling now is less about polys and like what, what was it called um poly modeling yeah poly modeling 
like when I started and maybe when you guys started, it was like doing things poly by poly yeah. to model things. That's less the case now. It's more ZBrush and then Retopo. Yeah. Like, because it used to be so important to have like a really... Um, like modeling something out of digital clay would be ZBrush, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you start with like, you just go ZBrush and you just go all extreme poly, like high poly counts. Um, but then you just retopo it automatically with Z Remesh or something like that. Um, but it, it allows you to work creatively. Um, but yeah, like, like okay, so if you want to be, a, like, if you want to make characters, the best thing you could learn is anatomy. Learn the anatomy of the face. Like, so many character um, models I see, they just don't know the anatomy, and therefore it looks it looks wrong. And they might say, oh, but it's stylized. It's like, well, don't do stylized yet. You're yeah. not there. Because you need to have good anatomy in stylization as well. It's like you have to know what the rules are before you know how to break them. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that, yeah. So that's the modeling. And then once you've got a good model, then you probably want to learn how to, I mean, lighting or texturing, depends which one you go for. But texturing, um, that's, a, that's obviously learning what shaders do. Um, like if you're making a face, like where you should have, like, I don't know, like, like what's the albedo and then like the wrinkles, like the, that kind of thing, like using substance painter, that kind of thing. You can go really deep into texturing and then lighting. Hmm? Sorry, what do you mean by albedo real quick? Oh, diffuse, the, the color yeah. map. The, yeah. color. the color map, yeah. yeah. The color, the gloss, the bump, all that stuff we we're talking about. And then, uh, uh, yeah, lighting. I'm, I'm actually about to do like a, a series on um, like design theory. Cool. So like lighting, composition, and color. And then maybe if I can figure it out, visual hierarchy. That's a new thing. Cool. Are, can we expect those videos next week? Uh, maybe <laughs> not. <laughs> well, maybe once you have a CEO, you can uh, yeah, start delegate. focusing more on that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I love your theory videos, man. They're Thanks. Good. Very yeah. well structured, well thought out, um, well delivered. And everything. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I enjoy They're... making them because I have to learn it myself to make the video. Yeah. And yeah. I discover all this stuff. It's extra level. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. I like it. Awesome. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think it's about that time that we start wrapping this up. Man. What what about deep fakes? Oh! 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 That's right. Okay. We had a conversation over the weekend uh where you mentioned that uh you didn't think deep fakes were going to be a big deal and I was like, "What?" But then I had to like restrain well, myself because I was what, like, what, "What's deep fakes?" We have to save this conversation for the podcast, so here we are. Yeah, yeah. Now, deep fakes are a thing that have come out over the last year or two, which is basically an image processing effect <clears throat> that uses machine learning to help make really realistic um, fakes. But at the end of the day, basically, it just means transplanting someone's face onto the body of someone else in a video or an mm-hmm. image or something, and it's remapping all the facial features to that person's face, no matter how they're moving their head. Uh, and what it comes down to is you can literally make uh, anyone do anything or say anything at the end of the day. Have you seen the video of uh, of Obama saying stuff and he's talking and it's actually voiced by Jordan Peele? It looks like he's saying it, but he's not. Is it a Key and Peele skit? No, it was actually for BuzzFeed. Oh, no, I've never seen that video. Okay. It sort of went viral and it, that was sort of the trigger that everyone freaked out. Because it was, people were like, oh, you could use this like politically to make a politician say something. Whoa. Yeah, because so this is what, yeah, exactly. You can you can make anyone you want, uh, you can put them in a really difficult position where it's like, I, I can make this person uh, be uh, amongst really racist people saying really racist things when that person is not a racist. But there's video evidence now of them doing this. 
and it destroys any foundation of trust because that person, especially now, can be like, oh, but that is fake. And before deepfakes were a thing, it was like, well, what are you talking about? No one can do that. Obviously, it's uh, not fake. But now, not only can you do that and put them in a difficult position, they can deny it and be like, no, it's fake, even if it is a real video. Mm -hmm. The video is not authentic, that video of me punching a baby. Yeah. Eh, Somebody faked it. Um, So 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 here's the thing, right? You... You don't think it's a big deal? I don't think... I think the media is doing what they're very good at, which is making people scared of new technology. That is fair. (laughs) They do that. Okay, so for starters, it's not new, okay? The ability to make somebody say something... Forrest Gump came out in 1994. Mm -hmm. That had politicians saying and doing stuff that was not them, obviously. That was 94, okay? So the difference is is they needed a a huge team of very skilled artists to make that look real, whereas now it can be done by a 13-year-old on his little crappy computer. Yeah. Okay, so it's it's not new. It's just that the the, the barrier to entry is now so much lower. Okay. But (laughs) you still have a huge challenge ahead of you, okay, to make something to – Look real. Okay, so if I was to to Photoshop someone doing something, uh, it, you you could probably fool a lot of people, right? Uh, you could put it in front of like a, a photo expert, a forensic person, to have a look at it, and he might he might adjust the levels, figure out that he might be able to spot that it was fake. See the scars. Yeah, with a video, you've got thirty frames a second and the added challenge of animation on top of it. So you got to nail it thirty times a second. And you've got to do the animation just perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's not going to look right. So it, it is actually a big challenge. There's only been a few videos. There's only actually one. It was somebody put Nicolas Cage on Rachel Adams' face. I've seen that one. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's really the only one where I've been like, okay, that's that's actually very good. The others, a little wonky. And if it's yeah. like one, even one frame off as they turn their head, that the nose doesn't exactly line it's up. Hell. It's like, yeah. ah, it's off. Yeah. The blinking is another big one. Doesn't blink enough. The eyelids don't. No, certainly because humans are very good at reading faces. That's Incredibly why the whole like good. uncanny valley thing is like the closest. The closer you get to like actual reality, uh, the further away you get because it's like it's uncanny. It's something seems off. But here's the thing, though. Those are all just technical, current absolutely limitations. Hypothetically, let's say we get to a point where machine learning has gotten so good that it can just take any input of a video and any input of a face and replace uh, a person within that video so flawlessly, even machine uh, analysis can't tell the difference between what is real and versus fake. Because that's just like, with if you throw any amount of progress, it's like as, at a certain point, it's going to get that good, assuming that rate of progress r- maintains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these days, all evidence is pointing to that rate of progress is actually accelerating. It's going to get there, man. Like, So you're, you're skeptical that it won't even happen? No, okay, so... It probably will. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, for one, a lot of people are just saying, oh, AI will figure it out, which people say that a lot. It's the magic box of AI. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, it'll do it. It's going to get there eventually. Like, will it though? I mean, you, you don't actually, I mean, people have been making wild predictions mm-hmm. since the 60s yeah. about AI. Yeah. Alan Turing himself predicted that a machine would pass the Turing test by the year 2000. Back when nuclear power was big, they thought that we were going to have nuclear vacuum cleaners. <laughs> in the 1950s, they thought when they had rockets that we were going to be delivering rocket mail. 
right? Oh, wow. Like when you you deliver international mail by yeah. rockets, right? So there are, well, are that, predictions that, might that don't still be a thing. Maybe, <laughs> maybe if, if SpaceX is successful, that is their exact mission. Yeah. So the thing is, is like, yeah, it's it looks very con- it looks convincing now. There's still a lot of limitations, and will it get there yet to be decided? The only like I I did a lot of research on the AI thing. I haven't seen any AI yet be able to understand the the geometry of something, the depth, like. And I th- I feel like that's a big part of this. Okay. Um. It because when they when like the big tells like the moment they turn their head the perspective is off doesn't line up properly like the the lighting has to match it as well you've got to put the highlights in the right area because the skin has to reflect it the right thing like understanding I I feel like understanding the geometry is a big part of it. Um. There's also other tells like you can um like the the blood actually punch it uh, goes to the face. And you can see that there's actually a, I don't know if it's got a name, um, but it will enhance the the shades of blood in the face. Mm-hmm. So you can actually see blood pumping to the face. Okay. Wow. You can't see that in this AI, this neural network thing. So that's a big tell. That, okay. That's not there. But then maybe that'll be there in the future. They'll figure that one out. The eyelids, they'll figure that one out. Okay. Let's say that happens. Okay. What's the downside of videos no longer being truthful? What's the what's the big because sca- they're Every, saying the makes, sky is falling. Well, it just makes it so that everything is deniable. I can go out and literally punch someone in the face with n- full well knowing that lots of cameras are around recording that, but then I can turn around and literally be like, "No, that didn't happen," and mm-hmm. you have to prove that it. But it's like if your only proof is a video that is f- fakeable, mm-hmm. like where I mean, I'm not saying that it's it's an impossible challenge to to solve. Uh, deep fakes being such a common thing that anyone can just do at hundred percent quality. I, I'm just saying it's like, it is a challenge and it is a problem. I think. Yeah. And I know some people are, uh, po- some politicians are starting to introduce laws, uh, laws and bills into place that would, uh, Australia's got one would make yeah. it illegal to make a deep fake to, or at least what? it would make it illegal to, against uh, somebody's will. Yeah. Put someone's likeness, uh, against their will onto someone else's thing. And like there's a girl in Australia who doesn't know who's doing it. But they keep making a deep fake of her, uh, yeah, doing like porn acts. Yeah, and she doesn't know who's doing it. Wow! And they just keep uploading new and new things, and she's like, so that she got a, a bill passed in Australia. And I'm not entirely uh, convinced that making it illegal is a bad idea. I think it it might actually. I mean, but I don't know because then you might just reduce the widespread use of it so much that. It will happen. It'll because it's still going to happen. You know, like crime still happens. Yeah, but then it might just be less, so that when it does happen, you think these people maybe, are like uploading it currently under their real name? Well, no, I'm just saying. Of course, it's, it's not. Yeah, but they're like, already shady. It's a bill. What's it going to do? Nothing. Nothing I mean, it, at all. I mean, if if the repercussions are strong enough, it might make them think twice. You well, know? people yes. still torrent. Yeah, people. <laughs> people still download illegally. Like, yeah, you get a letter in the mail saying, "Hey." We're, Found you downloading this. And it's like... Ugh. Okay, so here's the other side of it. Okay, so it would erode our trust in video. Absolutely. Yes. Just like we've already done with photos. So this is the thing. It's directly comparable to Photoshop. Yeah. In the 90s, when Photoshop started becoming a thing, think about how scared people were when Photoshop was around. Like, oh my goodness, you can't trust photos anymore. Now you can see when... When there's a you could you could Photoshop the the president doing something that he didn't do. You can make him look like he was performing sexual acts on someone. Yeah, this could cause World War Three. 
exactly the same that stuff they're saying. Point. And we don't this. ever really see that. We never no. really see. What, what's happened is, is education. The public has learned that this is what Photoshop can do. We've adapted. Mm-hmm. It will change things for sure, but it's not the end of the world. And this is the thing that I, I didn't like. I'm not suggesting it's like going to be a huge catastrophic problem. Oh, no, no, no. But it, it, all the news, I mean, they love harping on the like, yeah. oh, someone could make a video of Donald Trump saying he's just launched a nuclear warhead. And then it's going to actually start, you know, like they're jumping to like the craziest scenarios that like video is like it. I just don't see how it's any different to photos. And we adapted to photos. When you see a billboard of a sexy girl, like, you know that she's been airbrushed. Everybody knows she's been airbrushed. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the same with a video. It's yeah, like, but it's like I just I feel that video is kind of like the last bastion of reality. You know, it's like yeah. I mean, and the, uh, I mean, and, the, and we are, I mean, obviously as visual effects artists, we are pushing the the border of that. But that's yeah. entertainment versus politics. If it's in politics, then it's like, yo, like I already don't trust what I. I mean, I don't watch really watch the news to be honest. But like, someone else is telling me something. I'm like, eh. Let me look into that, you know, and if they like looking into it as an article or a video or a speech or whatever, like maybe they'll just have to do speeches in like disco ball lighting where like it's really hard to do, <laughs> you know, the the deep fake on it, you know? Yeah. I, I think the, the other thing is like um, it's it's exciting and it's cool, uh, but it the news is just like jumping over. And, and I'm like looking around. I'm like, guys, why aren't we talking about Photoshop? Like they start the article like imagine a world where like anyone could make you uh, look like you're doing something, make you look like you're performing sexual acts on somebody else, make you look like you're, you're being violent. So I'm like, you mean like Photoshop? <laughs> the thing we've had for the last 20 years already. Yeah. Like it's, it, oh. it'll change things for sure, but it's not. And the other thing, oh yeah. Okay. So this is what I was going to say. The, uh, the consequence for court being caught making a fake video, like let's say a political party or Russia wanted to make, I don't know, Donald Trump. There's a video of Donald Trump in an elevator punching his wife, right? Okay, let's say that happens, right? The consequence of being caught making a fake, as in it goes up online, but then experts look at it and they break it down and then they show video that it's been faked. The consequence of that looks terrible for you. So you have to nail it perfectly in order to pull it off yeah and if if it was in a court case like if you had somebody like trying to frame somebody for murder or something Mm -hmm. then you're in really deep trouble that is a very good point yeah like so the consequence is huge so that's stacked like that's preventing a lot of people from trying it because a lot of people aren't video experts and they're preventing the white house from doing it (laughs) no well they did they did that video where it's like they sped up the footage a little bit so it made it look like the guy like karate chopped a woman's arm wasn't that? Yeah, that was immediately found out, though. It was it like was, that was embarrassingly bad. It was. It was. <laughs> it was. Yeah, that was so. Dumb. That was like found out like the, the day of. <laughs> yeah, I mean anybody could tell that was. That was so bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyways, I'm not. I I don't want to make it sound like I, I'm saying like it's not a big deal. Like it's gonna change things. It's. Uh, we, I was just surprised, like, reading on Twitter, like, I, you know, all these friends in the industry, oh, it's the yeah. end of the thing. I'm like, what about Photoshop? We're talking about this. Well, it's the same same We've, argument about how, like, oh, AI is going to take all our jobs. It's like, it's not going to take them as much as just morph them. Yeah, change them a bit. Yeah. 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 And, and it... People are averse to change anyways. I mean, it's, it, it's 
gonna change and we'll figure it out we'll adapt we'll figure it out yeah we'll figure we'll it out figure it out well andrew thank you so much for coming on the podcast <laughs> Yeah, it's man. been a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, I really hope your, uh, the rest of your stay here in America is great. And maybe we'll see you again if you move back. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. It's been a, fun. Yeah, man. It Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Enterprise, everyone, from Blender Guru. And see you later. And all right. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in and watching or listening. This was a really fun podcast. I know Clint and I both really enjoyed it. So thanks again to Andrew Price for showing up and sitting with us, having some good discussions. And if you want to see more of this sort of thing, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel, Corridor Cast. Or, you know what, if you just want to listen to it, that's cool, too. You can find them on pretty much any of your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify or iTunes, whatever floats your boat. So, yeah, thanks for watching, and I'll see you next time.